today we reach back into the shelves and draw out from our archives a, a great word of encouragement from Jim Yost. Jim Yost is a pastor, leader and a movement practitioner in Indonesia, a great brother. And he gave us a word last year that was, as COVID was breaking out, a word of encouragement that I hope that you'll find is inspirational and will enrich your hearts as you listen to our brother, Jim Yost. Enjoy. Greetings to all of you in uh, Melbourne, uh, Praxis, and around the world, in different places around the world that are going to be watching this. I'm so glad uh, to be invited to come into your living room or your bedroom or your backyard, wherever you might be viewing this. During this uh, COVID time, it's uh, challenging to do these kinds of talks. And so I'm going to record this and uh, hopefully you can watch it and we can maybe entertain some questions and answers at a later time. But my name is Jim Yost and I live and work in uh, Indonesia and in Papua, the easternmost province of Indonesia. My background, uh, I was born and raised in America and uh, grew up in a Christian family, but my father died when I was young and uh, I was really mad at God. Why did other boys have a father and I didn't? So I went on a path of rebellion for uh, several years where God was protecting my life even though I was doing a lot of things that uh, was bringing destruction on my life. And then my last year of high school, secondary school, uh, I got uh, caught dealing drugs on campus and got kicked out of school, got locked up in jail, and uh, reached the rock bottom of my life to where I found out I needed God. <laughs> when I got out of jail, um, some young people from a church had been praying for me for several years. I had no idea. And they invited me to go to a youth camp up on top of a mountain. I'd never been to a youth camp. Uh, but I figured, mm, that's a good place to go meet girls, so I'll go there. <laughs> so God used the bad motivation so that I would end up in the right place. And uh, the first day of this camp, I saw all these young people on fire for God. And I said, that's good for you, but not for me. And I hardened my heart for one day, two days, three days four days, and then the last day of the camp, God's Spirit broke through into my heart, and I got on my knees, uh, cried my eyes out, confessed my sin, turned my life over to Jesus. I had no idea where this would take me. I was just glad I got a second chance at life. Um, this was during a time in America, in the west, western part of America. I was part of what was called the Jesus People Movement. It was a lot of us from the hippie era of the 60s and 70s, long-haired, drug-crazed hippies, and we're all coming to faith very rapidly on the streets, on the beaches. It was the last movement in North America. All the qualities of movement were in the Jesus People movement. And I was part of that, and that's where I started hearing about mission. And I started thinking, is that for other people, or is that for me? And so I went to Japan and Korea for a mission trip. That was when 45 years ago, nobody did mission trips. But I went on a, three months to Japan and Korea just asking God, is this for me? Is mission for me or just for other people? And it was in uh, Japan and Kyoto. Uh, 
one night and I was wrestling with God in prayer all night long, being honest, saying, God, I don't like being in a foreign country. I don't like not knowing what I'm eating. I don't like not knowing the customs or the language. I can't be a missionary. And God came back to me very clearly and said, that, that's right, Jim, you can't be a missionary, but I can make you a missionary. And I realized this mission call had nothing to do with my abilities or my inabilities, but had everything to do with being obedient to God. And I knew that day I'd leave America and never go back again. Met my wife. She had a call for missions too. She's a Native American, the real American. Uh, and uh, so we got married and said, let's do mission together. And within a few months, we were gone. And we went to Irianjaya, or it's called Papua today, the easternmost province of the island of New Guinea, uh, north of Australia, south of the Philippines. You have this big island of New Guinea, and the western half is part of Indonesia. And we were felt burdened for uh, tribal people, unreached tribal people. People, time is forgotten. So we went into the middle of the jungle and went to a place where nobody had ever gone before, to a tribe called the Sawi. And if you've ever read the book Peace Child, Don Richardson was in one half of the tribe, we were in the other half of the tribe. And there we saw a movement happen. Uh, just uh, in the first two years, we were just uh, trying to be as incarnational as we could, living with the people, going foraging for food in the jungle with them, trying to be like Jesus would, would do if he was there. And uh, no, no results. And, but in the third year, uh, something happened. Uh, one day from our house, we heard the death wail, the crying for the dead. And when you hear that, you know someone's died. And I ran out of the house. Uh, our house was two meters up off the ground on round poles, uh, thatched grass roof, bark floor. That was our house. And I jumped to the ground, ran the direction. I heard the crying. A half hour en route until I came out at the riverbank, a thousand tribal people, all uh, mourning the death of someone. And I asked somebody, what happened? And they said, Jim, early morning, a young family got in their canoe, went off to the jungle to forage for food. And when they came back, they brought their packs of food up to their hut, and they left their little one-year-old child in the canoe to wait for them. When they came back to get their little boy, he wasn't there. He tried to stand up in the canoe and had fallen over into the river. And for half an hour, they looked for him, could not find him. Because the river is inky black in color. Uh, you put your hand a few centimeters under the water, and you can't see it again. Uh, so for half an hour, they looked for this boy, could not find him. Then finally, one man came out of the water with the body of the boy in his arms, uh, not breathing, uh, his lungs full of water. Uh, he's, he's dead. They bring the body up on high ground, lay it on a banana leaf. Everybody's mourning berserk with grief. And my wife came on the scene, and because she knows the technique of mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, she tried to revive the boy for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes. But after that, she realized he's been in the water too long. He's really dead. And she stopped, and she started to pray. And I was just a little ways away, and I stood up and spontaneously started to pray a prayer that I'd never prayed in my life. Because there's a gift of faith that God gives. It's not a faith that we possess. It's a faith that God gives at a point in time when he wants to do something. And at that point, I just prayed, God, even though these people do not acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, please, as a sign of your love and mercy, allow this little boy to live again. 
All of a sudden, out of the mouth of that little boy came spewing all the water. He started breathing, shallow breathing, big, his eyes open. He was alive again. His parents grabbed him up. Everybody started shouting. And as a result of this miracle, uh, over the weeks to come, we were invited to teach and preach about the way of salvation in every village, and 80% of this tribe came to faith. And we saw a movement in the jungle. I came to faith in a movement in America. I saw a movement in the jungle. And then after 20 years in the jungle, we're finished. We did a Bible translation. We had churches planted. We moved to the city uh, 23 years ago to do church for problem young people uh, in the north coast major city of Papua. Jayapura. And uh, we started with drunks off the street and prostitutes and gang members and addicts, just whatever problem young people, that, that was our church. Church happening anywhere and everywhere. Church without walls. Light in the darkness. And it extrapolated. It grew rapidly until people said, Jim, you got the biggest church in Papua, maybe. But something happened 15 years ago that changed my life forever. Uh, when on the 26th of uh, uh, December uh, in Aceh, out in the ocean, plates opened up under the water and sucked all the water off the beach uh, on the west coast of Sumatra. Uh, and then all the fish, <laughs> dry fish on the beach, ready for being for collection. All the kids out of the villages coming out getting this free fish. But then the plates came back down and the first wave of the tsunami came on land and took out all those kids, all those villages. And then there was a second wave, and then there were third, there were three waves of the tsunami in Aceh. And at the end, it was all over, devastation. And I was uh, 3,000 miles away in Papua, but watching every day that nothing was happening for one, two, three days. And on the third day, I was out running. Every morning I run 10 kilometers and pray as I run. And while I was running, God said, go to Aceh. <laughs> so I gave the family, I said, God wants us to go to Aceh. So he got on a plane. My daughter, who runs our medical program, program for the poor, she gathered 150 kilos of medicine, a team. We got on a plane, we landed in Banda Aceh the night of the third day after the tsunami. And the first commercial aircraft allowed to land, miracle, we were on it. And walked through there and saw it. 250,000 people have gone to a Christless eternity. And all of a sudden, uh, what I'm doing in Papua doesn't look very successful. Based on the great need there is in, e in the west of Indonesia. So I came back to Papua and I had a, a network of youth leaders around the country that I was mentoring. And I gathered 12 of them who were frustrated. These were youth leaders that make together thousands of young people in church services, but they're frustrated. Is that all it is? Just rah-rah in church services? There's got to be something more. So we all gathered together and were honest for three days just to pray and dream together. No other agenda. And at the end of three days, we agreed to erase the blackboard. Everything we know about how to do church, forget it. Everything we know about how to plant churches, forget it. And go back to the drawing board. How did Jesus do it? Because I had a sneaking suspicion, if I did it Jesus' way, I might get Jesus' results. I can do it my way and get results, but maybe there's more. So we went back to the Bible to find out how did Jesus do it. And we uh, didn't start with the book of Acts. That's too late. It's the Gospels. What did the DNA, the, the values that Jesus put into his first disciples? 
we wanted to get those values. And we got one, and then we went out and practiced for three months, these 12 guys all across the country of Indonesia, came back, got an, held each other accountable, got another value, went out and practiced for three months, came back, held each other accountable. After a year, these guys are seeing stuff happen that they never thought would happen. After two years, they're starting to train people in their own regions. Now after 14, almost 15 years, we've seen 17,000 people come to faith uh, all across the country and even outside of the country now. And it's the best time of my life. And uh, the things of movement, you guys are movement people. That's you have, We have movement thinking. And people have always say, Jim, what's the key to elements of movement? And some people have 26 elements, some have 17. My whole point is keep it simple. The simpler you keep it, the more reproducible it is. So I have five uncompromising elements of movement. If you have these things ingrained, God can move. People say, Jim, show us how to make a movement happen. I say, you can't make a movement. Only God can make a movement. But when God's on the move, we can sure get in the way. So these five things are how to stay out of the way so that God can move. And I call them Matthew's iPod. Matthew had an iPod. <laughs> uh, five things. Matthew 10.8. Freely you've been given, freely give it away. In a movement, everybody is discipling everybody. There are, there, you're not waiting for leaders because everybody's brand new. There are no leaders. <laughs> And so you give people a little bit and they give it away to somebody else and they give it away. You have to quickly give away. That's a, it's a movement principle. Freely you've been given, freely give it away. When I came to faith in the Jesus people movement, <laughs> I'm two weeks old in Jesus and I'm put into leadership. Because <laughs> uh, there are no, we're no leaders. Everybody was brand new and we're all falling and we get picked back up and they say, try again, you can do it. And we did eventually. But movements are messy. If you want things tidy, you'll never have a movement. They're, they're not clean cut. They're messy. Sometimes it looks like it's out of control, but it's in God's control. But freely you've been given, freely give it away. You give somebody something and you ask them to give it away. And that's how movements keep going. It cannot be based on highly qualified leaders. Uh, I of iPod, insane evangelists. I call it insane evangelists, crazy evangelists. In a movement, everybody likes to talk about Jesus. Everybody likes to talk about what Jesus is doing for their life. You're not waiting for the gifted evangelist. In fact, we often misunderstand what is an evangelist. Uh, Billy Graham is not an evangelist. Reinhard Bonnke, uh, I, Reinhard is now with the Lord, but I knew Reinhard. Wonderful man, but he's not, wasn't an evangelist. Reinhard was a gifted speaker, preacher, not an evangelist. An evangelist is somebody who in everyday life, wherever they go, they like to talk about what Jesus is doing for them, and the majority of people that hear them say, I want that. That's an evangelist. I know because I live with one. My wife is an evangelist. She'll never stand in front of a bunch of people and speak. She could, but she won't. But she'll be with prostitutes and wayward kids uh, every day and talking about Jesus, and they all want to want to have it. In a movement, everybody cannot stop talking about Jesus. Uh, P of iPod, passion for the lost. Everything we do 
is for the harvest. We don't do anything to build our name brand, to build our building, to build our budget, to build, uh, to produce a book or a program on TV, a YouTube channel. We're not doing stuff focused on that. It's all focused on the harvest. So success is defined as are we getting the job done? Are new people coming to faith? It's based on the, the, the people who are lost, not on us. So passion for the lost is a value in all movements. Uh, o of iPod, obedience-based discipleship. We're in the traditional church setting. We've been very tradi- uh, knowledge-based discipleship. I have a lot of education. 80% of my education I've never used. Maybe 20% I've used. I've had to learn, I have had to learn on the field, on the job training. So when we disciple people, we're not training knowledge, we're training obedience. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations and baptizing them and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Teaching to obey is what we try to do. So everything's about training people to obey. And if they, if we're not doing that, we're sinning before God. Train my disciples to always obey. Hear a little bit, obey it. Hear a little bit, obey it. Some people say in movements, it's really shallow, Jim. They don't have a lot of good Bible knowledge. No, they may not have great Bible knowledge, but the little bit they know, they've put it into practice. And they grow rapidly in their spiritual walk with Jesus. They get a little, they obey it. Get a little, obey it, and they keep on progressing. Uh, my DMM curriculum I put together after all these years, I have about a two-year curriculum where if you go through this curriculum, you have the same Bible knowledge as a, a Bible school graduate because you're doing discovery yourself. You're not hearing somebody else teach you. You're discovering and you're obeying so obedience-based discipleship is what we do. And the last one of iPod, D, Discovery Bible Learning. Jesus was never teaching point one, two, three, four. Jesus was telling stories, parables. And then he'd ask, he'd do a debrief and ask his disciples, what did you learn from that story? He's always asking them to discover truth. And if you're in the education world, you know something we discover for ourselves is much more impactful in our lives than something that's taught to us by somebody else. So in DMM, we really, in our movements, it's all about discovering together. You discover in your walk moving towards Jesus in a group of people. I train leaders. We have leader learning communities where they're all discovering together at different levels. We never stop the discovery process in everything we do. Matthew's iPod. Those are the five non-negotiables for movement. Are there things that make movements ha- stop? Yeah. Um, I just wrote an article that will be published in a couple of months uh, in a periodical called Mission Frontiers. And it's called Movement Killers. <laughs> there are things that we've experienced that stop movements. They start and they get stopped in their tracks. And I won't go into that whole article, but maybe just three. I'll say the three biggest things are uh, big buildings, big budgets, and big shots. <laughs> big buildings. When you start getting focused on building structures, buildings, you start losing momentum. When you start building budgets, trying to 
publicize and 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 get more income you stop them when, when big shots name people who are gifted start uh being in the limelight and you're not reproducing leadership leadership renewal all the time at all levels movements stop we have a youth mo- well that's something you wanted me to talk about urban uh this is in, involved in youth um my personal burden these last years has been urban movements and youth movements both of which people have told me you can't <laughs> uh, you can't see that happen movements have to be amongst families it can't be youth okay these are connected urban and youth are connected let me explain most movements in the world today are in rural areas uh you look at all the statistics the data the vast majority are in rural areas and some are being reported in urban but that's like in China where the chinese government has taken people from the rural areas and taken them into these mega cities that they're building to control the economy of the world with factories and so people come in to work but they still live on the fringe of the city in their rural communities and their rural environment so it's not really an urban movement uh, but when we talk about urban you have to understand it's a totally different thing than rural in the rural village areas the gospel travels according to web of relationships of families from family member to family member all around but when you get to the urban mega cities everything about urban lifestyle is against nuclear family it pulls husbands and wives apart urban lifestyle pulls children and parents apart everything about urban lifestyle does not in encourage family so in the urban area young people are not looking for family from their parents usually their parents are divorced um they're looking for their peers their peer group is their new family so when you plant discovery bible studies in the urban area especially amongst youth you're looking for where does natural community happen God has created us for community. Too often we make unnatural community. <laughs> you know, God is the God, God triune God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of community. We are created in God's image, so we are created for community. You don't have to create community. God has already done it. He's put it into the heart and life of every single human being. People look for community, and they will find it. we we make unnatural community we say you from over there and you from over there and you from over there let's get together on a friday night and we call that community no that's a sunday service brought into a home community happens in the everyday rhythms of life where your people in your job place or in your recreational place in your ball field uh where you go shopping in your club uh after school when you're waiting for your children the other mothers wherever you meet naturally meet people and you gravitate and you have a commonality that's com- community and people in the urban area get together for one of three reasons they come together because of common need common uh uh interest and common cause so common need single moms get together that's their community because they don't have any husbands or students wanting to prepare for university exams they get together because of common need or common interest like to play soccer after school or ga- gaming online this is a common interest they come together to learn things or common cause 
anti-corruption, pro-democracy, pro-peace, uh, those kinds of things. So you find where people, what causes people to come together in the urban area. You bring yourself into those groups and become incarnationally working out Luke 10 and finding the person of peace there and starting discovery group that will help them achieve their purpose for need, interest, and cause. Jesus' teachings will help us do that. And you lead them on a journey to Jesus that becomes church. So that's the urban nut that has to be cracked. And I've really been focusing on this for several years now. And we have an urban youth movement now. Young people, about 10,000 uh, across the country in Indonesia. I was just with my leaders last, oh, a few months ago, before COVID, uh, about 20 of them, uh, guys and girls, all ages 17 to 25, uh, all from hard backgrounds. And I sat with them and I said, how many of you when you were growing up had both a mom and a dad with you? Raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. Nobody had both parents with them when they were growing up. Okay, how many of you, when you were growing up, had one parent, a mom or a dad? Raise your hand. Seven. Raise your hand. Then I asked, how many of you, when you were growing up, uh, had no parent at all at home? The other 13 raised their hands. That's the norm today. That's not abnormal. That's normal. Because divorce now in Asia is rampant. The area of the world where we used to say that family is most important, now family is being disintegrated rapidly. Uh, Hong Kong, 50% divorce rate. Uh, South Korea, the largest church in the world, getting close to 50% divorce rate. Jakarta, 35% divorce rate last year. In Asia, this is happening. And who is a victim? These young people. And young people have a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt in their hearts, and they're looking for community, they're looking for new family. And they find it, first of all, with their peers. And their peers become their church, and they grow and get their wounds healed there, and can reach back into their broken families. And we see this happening over and over, to restore families, but it's happening to the children, to their parents, who are, who are separated and other things. So... The whole urban thing is a, a new uh, nut to crack. The whole youth thing is very a new, unusual thing where we must have movements or we're going to lose a whole generation. Because kids today don't really care about religion, but they sure have a lot of spiritual needs, a lot of spiritual struggles. And that's why we need, we don't, for young people, we don't even call it Discovery Bible Study. <laughs> I go on campus and I'll say to young people, hey, do you want to study the Bible? No, I've got to go to class. Do you want to do some gaming? Oh, yeah, everybody wants to do gaming. So we call it the Discovery Game, where we learn truth that will help us in our struggles in life. And uh, it's very fun. It's uh, uh, demonstrative. We act out uh, passages of scripture. We do flash mob, flash mob discovery on campus. Uh, we're even doing flash mob worship. Uh, two, three thousand in a mall coming together from uh, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, but different backgrounds to say, God, bring blessing to our city. May criminality go down and blessing of God come to our city. And there we find people of peace in these kinds of events. So that's just a little bit I would uh, challenge you all around the world that you're on the right track. If you're in this, this DMM uh, movement, 
you know, I don't even call it DMM anymore because it becomes a, a program, a new fad. Uh, I'm all more calling it the discipled lifestyle. <laughs> if we're all about discipling lifestyle, uh, then we are, we're in the right place. Uh, we have a motto, we have a, a club in uh, one part of the... Well, we have a lot of motorcycle gangs that have come to faith. And one motorcycle gang, they have a thing that says, Disciple or Die. <laughs> and they have a, a, a skull and crossbones. <laughs> and they say, hey, we got to be a disciple and we got to disciple others. Or it's better just to die. <laughs> and that's what we're all about. Let's do this discipling thing so that it's so easy, so reproducible, that people say, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. So God bless you and where you're at. Be encouraged today. Uh, God is on our side. It's a Kairos moment. COVID has opened lots of doors. I don't see this as difficult. I see God is giving, bringing us back to what's really the Bible basis of what church is. And we're seeing people coming to faith, people being baptized every week, even though we're still in lockdown here. Nothing is stopping us. So God be with us all. Bless you guys.